Now, this morning, I want to turn your attention once again to the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. And I have really enjoyed going through this parable with you and attempting to show you many good truths from it. I think that you and I, we need to think about sinners around us, people who are perishing, whether they're self-righteous men like the scribes and Pharisees or whether they're uh, sinners that other people look at them and they say, oh, how awful a people they are. Uh, still, we need to understand that they need Christ and Christ is willing to, was willing to associate with them when he walked upon the earth. Listen as I read for you here the first seven verses of Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So I've been trying to make it to the phrase, uh, more joy in heaven. I keep uh, getting deterred by various subjects that I want to bring to your attention Today we want to look at uh, the joy of the triune God over one sinner who repents. Uh, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rejoice to see true repentance in any sinner because of God's own declarations in his word concerning repentance. Now he declares to us uh, in certain places of the word uh, in very unusual uh, wording Uh, what his thoughts are about repentance. And so I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 18 with me. Ezekiel chapter 18. And I've read these verses to you about three sessions ago, but I, I want to continue to bring this up before you and to develop the ideas that we find here. In fact, I could probably take weeks in Ezekiel 18 alone on the subject of repentance. But I want you to see Uh, First of all, here that it is not God's pleasure to see any sinner die in their sins. Let me read this for you, Ezekiel 18, 30 to 32. He says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? And then this particular verse, which I want to focus our attention on. For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies says the Lord God, therefore turn and live. So I want to ask the question, first of all, in relation to the phrase, 
uh, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Uh, who are those in heaven who have this joy? Uh, there's a number of uh, things that we can say here and a number of things that I must say here so that you'll understand this better. Well, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents as reference to the three persons of the divine trinity, God the Father, Christ the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. And it also refers to the holy angels. They all rejoice in heaven when one Sinner repents, and then it also refers to all the saints in heaven as well who rejoice when they hear of the one sinner who repents. So that's my first point. I think that we need to see that. I will probably try to open this up a little bit more as to divine impassibility in relation to the triune God uh, over words like pleasure. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I will only say that the doctrine of divine impassibility should never stop us from declaring to people around us that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked or that God does not somehow rejoice over one sinner who repents because he does. Now, we may not understand that and we should not understand that in terms of men and their feelings, how they ebb and flow and etc., uh, but we need to understand that within God himself, there is all these attributes of his love, his compassion, his pity, as well as his wrath uh, and his anger against sin. But I wanted you to see here, first of all, this, this passage very clearly and very definitely shows us that it is not God's pleasure to see any die in their own sins. Uh, what does the word repent, is question number two here, mean in verse 30? What does the word repent? Uh, repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Confess. Yeah. Say again. Confess. Uh, it is, that is definitely to agree with God and to confess your sins. That's a very important part of repentance. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. We, uh, we think about this. And the second part of the question, too, that I bring to you is, why was everyone in Israel being exhorted to repent? What would happen to them if they didn't repent? It, it says at the end of verse 30 that iniquity would become a stumbling block to them. Ah, I'm Okay. Mm-hmm. That's how it's worded in the NAS, okay. yeah. right? Yeah. In the New King James, it says, turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. And that both these truths are, are just, they complement each other. What Matt just said from the New American Standard and that we need to understand that sin ruins people. Uh, I think that when we begin to See sin that way, it becomes less appealing, doesn't it? And it also is something that we can then talk to people around us about. Uh, did you know that sin will ruin your life? Sin will be your ruin in the sight of God, first of all. And then that sin will be your ruin in your life in terms of the way that you live and in terms of the people that you 
uh, hurt and sin against, and God himself whom you have offended. So question number three that I have on the paper is, if God is a righteous judge who hates sin, why would he say that he has no pleasure in the death of the one who dies in his or her sins? Why would he say that he has no pleasure? I mean, you would think that if he is holy, that, that he would take pleasure in it. But why doesn't he take pleasure in it? I think it's important that we understand this. It's important to the way that we think about other people around us who are sinners. I think elsewhere it says that he delights to show mercy and compassion. So I don't know how to solve that puzzle, but it's, it's <laughs> like there, there's, there's a preference for, for mercy. Amen. There's, there's not a reluctance to, to judge, certainly. But That's right. That's really good. He delights to show mercy. Yeah, David. I think it's in the thing itself. The difference is in the thing itself. God doesn't take pleasure in things that are evil. And the ruination of a person is an evil thing. Amen. Um, even though if you remove yourself a step from that, from the, the evil of the thing itself, the vindication of God in his in in the justice that is poured out on evil is something that he delights in. He does. Yes. But it's a step removed from yes. the thing itself. Yes. Whereas the mercy that he shows is something that he does for itself. Amen. The mercy, you know, the, the turning of someone away from sin is a good in itself. Whereas the destruction of or the, the, the ruination of the evil, the, the hell, is not mm-hmm. good in itself. But it's only good as for the sake of something else, which is the vindication of God's holiness. Amen. That's very well said. I appreciate your doing that and saying that. That's really good. God's a righteous judge. He hates sin. And he hates it because he's essentially good and loving. In his being, he pities sinners. He has joy in seeing one sinner truly repent more than 99 just or righteous persons who, supposedly righteous persons, as we've been studying here in past sessions, trusting in their own righteousness, who supposedly don't need any repentance. But we've seen that God, God's joy is in seeing people turn to Christ. Uh, we need to really... Reflect upon that. The heart of God is something that you and I need to reflect upon in terms of people around us. That he truly does rejoice seeing men turn from their sins unto him for forgiveness and the power to do what is right by the grace of his Son. He finds joy and delight in it. Now the emphasis here in verse 31 is upon God's joy and delight in seeing the actual activity of the sinner. Do you notice that? God is sovereign. We talked about this a little bit before. But he also expects us to respond to him and to the gospel and to do certain things in relation to our sinfulness. It says here to cast away from 
ourselves all our transgressions. He's speaking to the house of Israel, but we can apply it to ourselves. To cast them away is to turn away from the practices of sin. Get rid of them as you would throw away something detestable from you. And it says they were to get themselves a new heart and a new spirit. What would that mean for them, for any person, to get a new heart, to get for themselves a new heart? How would they do it? Can you tell me? If they were hearing God through the prophets speak to them, how, how would they do it? There's an example in Matthew 12. Jesus is in the synagogue, and there's a man with a withered hand, and Jesus says to him, extend your hand. How will you do that? You can't. So we can say that with the command that Jesus gave, came the grace to do it. Amen. No man has the ability to go get a new heart, but with the command comes, comes the grace, which is effectual calling in the heart of men. Amen. And then we're able to come to Christ with a new heart. Amen. It's kind of an Arminian wording here, isn't it? It's a... I mean, in the sense that we're supposed to do something, and we should, and we should, shouldn't we? So we do. We have to cry out to God. We have to, we have to understand that God is interacting with us. It's not just a matter of, of His um, being sovereign and giving us these things. That is obviously and true to us who are Calvinists. But I think that the reason that God words these things this way is so that people will see their responsibility. So that the house of Israel would see their responsibility. And that they would do it. That that they would act that way in the sight of God uh, as though this was up to them. They were to get for themselves a new heart and a new spirit. Which means that they'd have to cry out to God so that they would know that they were obtaining his mercy and his spiritual working in their lives and their minds, these actions which would actually bring them to repentance. Wow, this is, this is good stuff, isn't it? Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 87, uh, I have this written on your paper here, says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of the true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. So let me ask this question, question number four. What is the true sense of your sin? And apprehension of mercy uh, in God. What does it mean to have a true sense of sin Question four, and what does it mean to have an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ? What's a true sense of sin, first of all? Yeah, Brian. I I wrote this uh, sort of catechism question. I would change this. Oh. How would it read to you? True sense of his sinfulness. I see. Okay. Because the source of our sin is the issue, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's manifested, of course, in sins in particular, but right. our basic nature, we need to see that in repentance. 
Mm-hmm. That's good. No. Well, I think that's good. We need to see the source of our problem, our sinfulness, our sinful heart, uh, which is going astray from God by nature. That's the way that we are. Um, anyone else want to try to answer this? So, what is a true sense of sin? A true sense of it. How would that look? In your heart and mind. You stop trying to justify yourself. You see it as evil and that you're responsible for it. Very good. Stop trying to justify it. You see it as evil. Anyone else? Jenny. Very good. Yes, it's sin is ultimately against God. Uh, I've written down here a true sense of sin is yours when you come to understand how much your sins have dishonored God and how much harm they have done, not only to yourself, but to other people who you've sinned against. It's not simply a general acknowledgement of your sinfulness, but it's learning to view sin as God sees it worthy of his judgment of eternal damnation. Yes, David. Very good. Realizing that it's, it's, it's you. Yes. Yes. It's me standing in the need of prayer, like the song says, because I'm a sinner. I didn't say and I own it. Outside force. It, was, it was me. It's, it's right. Exactly. It's me. Very good. Very, very good. Well, it's a good thing if we can understand these things when we come to see that that faith is faith in Christ is the remedy for all of this. This is the only way that you can be saved and make the heart of God joyful. That's what I want you to see from this. Uh, second question concerning the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question 87. Why is it so important to have grief and hatred of your sin? Well, well, that's good. That's a good answer. Can you open that up a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, we can we can be ashamed of being caught doing something. Very good. Yeah. And, and we can even confess about doing something wrong and never repent. Right. If there's no apprehension of grief and understanding the darkness of sin mm-hmm. there's no true repentance because I, I haven't fully under, understood what breaking God's law means mm-hmm. therefore there's no grief right, right right, I agree I, I think there, there has to be a grief and hatred of sin, what has not only ruined me but dishonors God himself And if we can see that, then our feelings, our emotions, our inner being, our heart ought to be so affected by it that we will. I know I can say that some people are more emotional than others. They might not weep as as others weep. But you ought to feel definitely a great 
grief for your having dishonored God and, and a hatred of sin itself that you were led into it and this is what it has done to dishonor God and to, to uh, ruin you. So that's good. That's very good. I've written it's important to turn from your sin with grief and hatred of it because these feelings of sorrow and these thoughts of hatred toward it will help you by God's grace to really turn from it and to forsake it. Yes, they will. Uh, Question six, why is it important for you to turn from your sin with a full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience? Does there need to be a resolution in connection with sin that we're repenting of? Does there need to be a prayer in our having dealings with God over our repentance that, uh, so that it uh, will be ongoing and that we will see our sinful heart as it really is? Because there's repentance that leads unto life, like it says here, this question that we're looking at, but there's ongoing repentance that takes place in our hearts and minds Every day that's based upon the repentance unto life. Those men said to Peter, so God has granted repentance to the Gentiles, which is what he did by his grace. But we go on to repent wherever we see sin or sins in our life, don't we? So each and every day we're having heart dealings, hopefully with God, and this will lead us to a better relationship with him in terms of our fellowship and communion uh, with him leading to righteousness and our manifesting the fruit of the Spirit towards other people around us. Um, I've written here, it's important that you actually strive to enter the narrow gate into eternal life through faith in Christ. You realize that it's important for you to be serious about keeping all of God's commandments and walking upon his path of righteousness. I think think sometimes people don't get it. (laughs) They They don't understand what it means to live the Christian life. Now they think that, well, this is good, I've been forgiven, and God's forgiven me all my sins, but they don't seem to understand their responsibility to love God by keeping his commandments. And so they, they sort of hedge on that, or they think, well, I'll get to that, you know, eventually. But uh, what God wants is he wants our heart, yes, but he wants our obedience, too. He wants us to be clear on this, that uh, he's given us his commandments for our good and for his glory, that he might be honored by us in the way that we live our lives. So genuine repentance, I, I've said here, point number C, is... Um, It has certain characteristics. And we do have a few minutes here, and I'm going to look at this. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60. If you'll turn over there with me. Who would like to read that for me? He's got it. Jonathan? When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. No, that's good. That's such a precious couple of verses, isn't it? In the New King James, it says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. So what three things from these two verses, question seven, can we conclude about these verses that will give us understanding 
about true repentance? What three things are, are mentioned here? What's the first one? Yes, thinking upon our ways. Is that something that you do, dear Christian? <laughs> That's something that the Lord wants us to, to think about. Uh, to think about our ways. Um, what's the, the second one? Well, it's uh, to turn our feet to his testimonies in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, in other words, uh, why, why do you think the word feet is turning your feet is used there? Why do you think that it's worded that way? I want to turn my feet to your testimonies. What does that mean? Is it <laughs> it's a spiritual word picture, but what is it saying? Well, it's, it's being on the right path or going in the right direction, but also, you know, elsewhere in the psalm, it's the word being a source of light so that you can see yeah. Where you're going, what you're doing. Yeah, very good. That's the definition of repentance. To turn. Yeah. Amen. That's the definition. Yeah, it's just a turn, isn't it? Yes, to turn away from it. And to turn to God as well. But um, what's the third one here? What, what's the third activity that we ought to be engaged in? Yes, yeah, so, and we make haste, don't we? That we make haste. <laughs> you watch those old films like Pride and Prejudice, and somebody says, make haste, make haste, you know? And, and, and you think, whoa, boy, they're really getting worked up about this. You know, but that's the way that, that we ought to be in our heart in terms of keeping God's commandments. We ought to be making haste. To do it, not just saying, well, I'll get to that eventually, as I said before, but that we would make haste and do not delay. Sometimes delay leads us into sin, doesn't it? We don't do what we should do in a timely fashion. We don't, we don't do it uh, right away. But I'm saying if you do it right away, it's going to bring God joy. You want to bring God joy? I don't think we think about this sometimes. God is impassable. He doesn't, he's not affected by us. Oh, yes, but he is, isn't he? In one sense, in the sense that we understand him. It should be that we understand this, that we want to bring God's heart joy by the way that we live our life. And um, I think that's about all the time that we have, but... We'll look at this a little bit more next time by looking at Joel 2, 12 to 14. Therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time around your word. We thank you for repentance, the doctrine of repentance, but the reality of it even more. May it be in our lives that we repent and turn from all of our sins and every sin and uh, learn to uh, hate sin and wage war against our remaining corruption and glorify you by walking on the path of righteousness and keeping your commandments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.